It's your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Glad to have everybody back for another day. Another good show coming up today. Andrew Kramer covers the Vikings for the Star Tribune. will join me here in just a little bit to talk about that team. A little film review from Sunday's game. Plenty to look at in that 27-22 win over the Jets. Namely, how the Vikings have improved so much on their red zone defense in the last couple of games. It's been, it was a really um, sore area for them earlier in the year. They were giving up a lot of points per possession in the red zone. They were one of the worst red zone teams in the league defensively before these last two games, really, against New England and the Jets. And, the, and better red zone defense certainly helped against New England. It was the absolute key against the Jets. And Andrew and I will explore some of what they've been able to do a little bit better lately and what some of the factors are in improving that number. Also get to some award-winning Vikings poetry. Um, the Vikus are back better than ever. Uh, my good friend Keith Rashad joins me for that. So you will experience the Vikings poetry after the uh, after the uh, the film review as well. First, though, what did I miss? Got to talk about Carlos Correa. Um, baseball winter meetings starting just a couple days ago. Twins still hoping to make a big splash in free agency, but a couple of developments on Monday were interesting in that regard. Number one, Trey Turner um, reportedly agreeing to an 11-year, $300 million contract with the Phillies. Now, he was one of the big four shortstops available in free agency, joining Correa, who, of course, was with the Twins last year, had the the uh, the you know the three year deal that was essentially a one year deal and he opt out of that to be in free agency again this year. Um, also, uh, Dansby Swanson and uh, Xander Bogarts part of that as well. Those big four shortstops. So Trey Turner coming off the board for a very big number for a very long term. Obviously, eleven years, three hundred million dollars with the Phillies. That will have a big impact on the Carlos Correa market. I don't know if he's. You know, looking for that long of a contract. I don't know what, you know, where exactly he slots in, but a lot of people, um, you know, in, in the projections had Correa getting a, you know, at least in terms of annual value, more money than a Trey Turner. Although both of those guys, very good players, obviously. So where does that leave the Twins? Where does that leave the market? Another good question along those regards is the Yankees, who are still pursuing their own free agent, Aaron Judge. Brian Cashman, their general manager, is talking at the winter meetings on Monday, saying they're not going to rush Aaron Judge to make a decision on where he's going to play next year, whether it's going to be with the Dodgers. Um, I'm sorry, whether it's going to be with the Yankees, whether it's going to be somewhere else long-term. That's not something the Yankees are going to rush into. Why is that significant? Well, Everybody's kind of waiting for Aaron Judge to sign before a lot of these other dominoes fall because if the Yankees don't end up getting Aaron Judge, if he goes somewhere else, the Yankees might be a big player for one of these other big-name free agents, Carlos Correa perhaps being one of them. So that piece of it's interesting, too. They're not going to rush Judge, so we might have to wait and see until Aaron Judge signs what's going to happen ultimately with Carlos Correa. Now, a couple interesting things with Correa himself. Uh, sounds like the Cubs met with Correa on, uh, on Monday, another team kind of interested in him. That was one that hadn't necessarily been reported before. A team that's kind of been, you know, in and out of deciding whether they're trying to compete. But it uh, sounds like they're going to go for it again now. And Carlos Correa could be a centerpiece of that for them. Twins have met with him recently as well. Our Lavelle E. Neal in San Diego for the winter meetings reporting that. 
um, you know, saying that the Twins met with him, I think, Saturday, had a good talk with him. Uh, Rocco Baldelli talking to reporters on Monday said, we positioned ourselves well to be one of the highest priority options for him. We just have to let this thing play out. So, you know, Correa feels like he's pretty important to this offseason. If the Twins don't get him, they will probably pivot to someone like Xander Bogarts or perhaps pivot to pitching someone like Carlos Rodon. Um, they, they, I don't know if they need to come away from the winter, or from the winter meetings with, with something, you know, intact, locked up, but it does feel like they have some money to spend and they have some targets. They might just have to be patient. The problem with that is when you're patient, other teams who maybe have more money or a more desired market can sweep in and all of a sudden what you thought was a plan can go awry suddenly. So watch for that. You're going to have to be a little bit patient, I think, if you're going to see if the Twins ultimately are able to get Correa. I'm still not optimistic about it. I think that's, you know, I think that's a nice idea. I think they wouldn't have had any chance of it, obviously, if they hadn't been able to get him in for a year. I think he does like it here. But how far that goes as a Scott Boris client is a big question, and we just have to wait a little, wait a little bit longer to find out how that plays out. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M, so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. It's film review time with Andrew Kramer. And my goodness, Andrew, the Vikings make the film interesting every week. And uh, bless them to give us something different to pick apart every week. I want to talk a couple things with you right now. Um, First one being red zone defense, one that had been pretty bad for most of the season, but has been particularly good the last two weeks and especially against the Jets and was probably ultimately the difference between a win or a loss in that game. I shouldn't even say probably that was the difference between a win and a loss in that game. Um, What what if anything is different now and how are they able to tighten things up against the Jets and then the Patriots before that? Yeah, they've not been good, as you mentioned, in the red zone. Obviously, there was that one run in October, I think it was, where it was like, 10 straight times opponents that scored touchdowns when they reached the red zone on them. Um, and that, that kind of run will tank your stats, but overall they were 27th entering the game in the red zone in terms of points allowed um, teams pretty much thought it was automatic and the jets were not able to do it. The Patriots weren't able to do it either. And I think it comes down to them facing some subpar quarterbacks a little bit. You're not facing Josh Allen anymore. You're not facing, um, Washington, they played a good game, but not Kyler Murray uh, and not, you know, the Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle. So it, the competition has gotten a little bit lesser. And then they've been able to focus on the running game more in the red zone, which has helped them a lot. And you're not seeing Mike White. You're not seeing Mac Jones throttle throws into some tight windows like we've seen some other quarterbacks do against them in those spots. Also, you've seen a change of strategy a little bit. You were seeing them move Patrick Peterson to the other side. And some of that might have to do with the fact that they've had so many injuries at corner where Mm -hmm. Caleb Evans leaves again in this one. And so whether that's out of the injury necessity or them realizing, Hey, this is just the better matchup. um, They were moving Patrick Peterson over to Devontae Parker's side against the Patriots. They were moving him over to Garrett Wilson's side against the jets. And that was a constant theme in that second half, especially as Duke Shelley had to enter that game. 
Um, and then Duke Shelley ends up with a couple pass deflections himself in some of those spots. So uh, I think it's just better play from from the secondary members and then a little bit of the change in strategy. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, <clears throat> we do tend to think of these things as solely what is this team doing different uh, to, to make the numbers different? And some of it just comes down to sometimes the opposition. And we've seen it, you know, throughout the NFL over the last few years, at least um, when you've got a quarterback and the Vikings don't have that quarterback generally, but when you have a quarterback who can improvise and can make plays with his feet, like Jalen hurts for Philadelphia, like their red zone offense feels like it's almost unstoppable because when you pack guys in there so tight, there's only so many windows to throw the ball. If you've got that unaccounted for a guy who can just tuck the ball and run it in, that changes things. And that's not Mike White or Mac Jones. Yeah, Mike White almost did it, though. He gets the sneak on fourth he down. He did, yeah. That's not his count. game, though. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, yeah. We we typically yeah don't see that from him, and, and that helps when you don't have to face that, certainly. And the Vikings just aren't equipped to really handle that. And I think this team, at least the secondary, should be better suited to play in the red zone, especially better than they had played earlier in the year. Um, because this team does play a lot better when its safeties drop lower toward the line of scrimmage, when Harrison Smith can be more aggressive when Cam Bynum can break on throws, like we saw him deflect the uh, first series throw that ended in Harrison's interception. Right. And then Cam Bynum breaks on the throw to get the game ceiling interception. When they can play downhill like that, which the red zone allows you to, because obviously there's just not any field behind you. Right. Um, they, they do play better. And you're seeing that because these guys are so preoccupied with not getting beat deep. They get drilled into their heads. Uh, throughout the week and throughout the offseason by this coaching staff, that's the whole philosophy. Four-man rush, play deep off coverage, don't get beat deep. And the problem with that Jets game, the reason why they got into hot water again, is because they got uh, some big plays on them uh, in some critical moments. Well, and they couldn't rush the passer, which <clears throat> or didn't get really didn't get home on Mike White on any of their rushes, at least in the second half that I can remember. And, you know, that 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 piece of it, you know, leads to chunk plays, but then, like you said, when you get down to the red zone, you still want to get pressure, but then there's just not as much place to go with the ball, even if you have time. Yeah, they did. It was it was good to see if you're the uh, the Vikings that you did get some pressure on some of those third downs in the red zones. Darius Smith had a batted ball away. Yes, that was a big play. Um, DJ Wanham actually had a really key pressure on that interception to seal the game. Mike White said after the game, I could feel that coming from the left tackle behind me, and I had to force that ball in there, and obviously that leads to the turnover. Um, so they were able to get some pressures, but you're right. In general, you aren't seeing um, the instant four-man rush from Sedarius, who's been dealing with a knee injury, or from Daniil Hunter, who's getting chipped and doubled a lot in some of these scenarios, as we're used to seeing. And so you saw Ed Donatel and the Vikings actually shift to a five-man front against the Jets, uh, who were doing a lot of side-to-side stuff. And so I think they were trying to generate that with some extra pass rushers, extra defensive linemen, but it didn't always get home. A couple more thoughts on that before we shift to another idea I wanted to run past you. Um, Harrison Smith, I talked about this with Royce a little bit on Monday's show, but he's playing about as well as I can remember him playing. He feels like every major play in, especially in close moments, he's in the frame. Um, what, what is he? He's obviously a big part of red zone defense and had the interception and had some other breakups in that game. What's been your impression of his play? And even, you know, in tandem with, Andrew, with, uh, with, with Bynum this year. Yeah, there was the one I I'm trying to remember exactly the situation, but it was in the first half and it was on the Vikings, you know, they're, they're backed up toward their own end zone. 
And there was a deep throw that Mike White made to Garrett Wilson where Harrison is playing in the deep center of the field and he's playing one vertical route. Does like a center field turn like a baseball player turning all the way around to then deflect the throw to Garrett Wilson uh, with both of his hands. Like that's a throw that you don't see a lot of safeties make, let alone 33-year-old safeties make. It was an incredible athletic throw and also just shows the vision, uh, the anticipation that he plays with. And that was just one of the many plays that he made in this game. And he stood out too in this game because, again, it allowed him to play. They weren't so afraid of Mike White throwing over their heads. And the Jets' offensive line is not great right now. So I think the Jets were really preoccupied with getting the ball out. And that allowed Harrison to, again, play downhill. And and we've seen him under Mike Zimmer, how effective he can be when he can play kind of more toward the action. And he shot a gap, I think, on a run play down by the goal line, too, and stopped a play down there that ended up being pretty, I think it was like maybe second down. And if he doesn't get a get an ankle on, on someone, that might be the go-ahead touchdown. And instead, they survive those four downs and survive again beyond that and, and win that game. And it's again, it's another one of those games where you're like, couldn't they make it easier on themselves? But they do keep making uh, making those plays that ultimately get it done. And a big part of that in that game was the red zone defense. Um, switching to offense for a little while, that was kind of a curiosity. And, you know, the, the greatest player on the field is always the guy who should be playing more, right? The guy you're like, ah, oh, it's the backup quarterback. Or, you know, like, why isn't this guy playing more? I'm starting to get into that territory with Jalen Rager. I'm not in Cordero Patterson territory yet where I'm screaming every week for Norv Turner to use him, even if he can't, you know, isn't if he's not, doesn't know the whole route tree. Uh, but but Rager seems like he makes a play a lot of times when he's on the field. And I looked up, he's only got like 40 offensive snaps this year. He's only had two snaps the last two games. And in both of those games, he's made a pretty substantial uh, completion, a catch, including a 38-yarder. The other day, which uh, was their uh, which was their longest of the whole game, when they didn't get a whole lot of yards. What is your take on that? Is that is he succeeding because they're putting him in <clears throat> limited, advantageous situations, or should he be in the game more to have more of those situations where he can make a play? Yeah, your your question's the right one because I think there's a lot of Eagles fans who would say we've seen him in right. a bigger volume and no thank you. <laughs> yes. So um I think part of it is the Vikings are putting him in very smart positions to take advantage of what he's good at and then in turn he's seizing those opportunities and not screwing up. Not doing some of the things that got him in trouble uh with the Eagles over those years where he was more relied upon. Um they're doing the jet sweep where he gets the 8-yard run. They're doing the the deep kind of over where he can outrun people kind of at an angle and getting the 25-yarder or the 38-yarder, that adjustment he made to Kirk's underthrown ball when yeah. Kirk's getting drilled like that, that's just a smart play. And, and credit to him for doing that. And if he can do those kinds of things, then, yes, they should be throwing uh, him the ball, especially deep a little bit more because his strength is going to be outrunning people. And if that's going to be on these perimeter runs or if it's going to be deep, um, that's how they got to use him. The, the thing is, though, yeah, if you start relying on some of these side-to-side things a little bit more with him, um, how reliable is he going to be? I know he, I think he had a drop problem in Philadelphia as well. So, um, some of these pop passes and stuff, you just never know. Right. Right. And, and that's, that's the thing. Coaches want consistency. They want to know they can rely on you. Um, I just think the Vikings right now have found a sweet spot with him and their offensive issues might not, I, I don't think that's some kind of magic bullet that they can turn to. Yeah, I don't think it's a magic bullet. I do think that there might be a sweeter spot between three snaps a game, which is what he's getting right now, and the 44 he got per game 
with the Eagles last year. I'm not saying like he should be starting. I'm saying, is there a way to get him on the field for 10 or 15 snaps as opposed to three, just in, just in terms of, you know, a guy who can make play, makes make a play in space. And I think of Wang Wu the same way, a guy who's had three kickoff returns for touchdowns since the middle of last year. Like he's another guy who can take the lid off of a defense, may, might be kind of a little bit feast or famine, but makes everybody pay attention when they're on the field. I think there, yeah, there, there maybe is, when you look at what they've been doing on offense, um, KJ Osborne's getting obviously so many reps, but that connection hasn't been there. You saw him pick up a big fourth down on a yeah. slant. Uh, in that game, but maybe they could swap Osborne for Rager out more in some of these early downs where Dalvin Cook is more of a threat and the defense is more focused on him. And you can bring Rager as kind of this misdirection option in a little bit more because if they're not going to use Wong like that, yeah, they might as well try to use somebody else uh, in that vein. Okay. I'm glad you're on board a little bit, but I, I think your point's a good one. Like sometimes when a guy isn't playing all that much, there's a reason for it. Like these guys see the same things we do. They see he made a 38 yard catch. They're not, you know, they're not immune to seeing that. Um, but they're seeing different things probably in practice and different habits every day too. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I do think they've got so many other issues though, right now. Um, like their offensive line just kind of ebbs and flows in games that running game ebbs and flows. Kevin O'Connell gets away from the running game. We yeah. see Dalvin cook pretty animated when he's coming off the field at times after he was getting going. So uh, there's a lot of issues on offense. I, I do think, yeah, you, you've talked me into, I'm sure Raker could help them at least a little bit. Maybe you could help them a little bit, but you're right though. The <laughs> offense, like it's been inconsistent. They've been outgained in a lot of the games they've managed to win. And, you know, some of the ways they could make some of these games less of an adventure would be put together. It's not illegal to put together a drive in the second and third quarter. I've, I've been told that that is well within <laughs> the legality in the state of Minnesota. And in fact, any other place they travel on the road. <laughs> right their third quarter offense just completely oh, dis terrible completely disappears in some of these games and I, i'm not sure if it's opponents just figuring out exactly what they want to do or execution or what because some of these things like i do remember one third down uh in in the third quarter for instance where it was just kirk being erratic completely missed adam Thielen on an out route where he was open like those kinds of things are not scheming coaching it's just a guy not making a play and kirk Kirk had an off day yesterday. Yeah, he, he was yeah, he was he not did. sharp. So that was a he big did. problem as well. He did. I agree with that. Well, we'll see if they can continue to work on their problems even, even as they continue to win. Kind of the theme of the season. It's been remarkable. I mean, every one of these games are nine and zero now in one score games. Were they six and eight in one score games last season when they set a record for most one score games? Uh it's just that's that's plain and simple the story of the season. And just strikes me that a team that wants to win on the margins might have a couple other margins to potentially explore. So we'll see about that. Yeah. I, I looked that up too. the one score game thing. It, it, you made me think of it here. The other NFC power, the Philadelphia Eagles have only played in five, one score games. They are the only other undefeated team in those games at five and Oh, uh, the Vikings have almost doubled them. <laughs> so talk about living on the margins. They're just going to set up shop and build a beach house on that margin. I don't know if that's good or bad. They're going to be ready for a close game if it comes in the playoffs, but sometimes it's good to play the what the Eagles win like 35-10 the other day. Sometimes it's good to win that way too because then you know you're that much better than the competition. That, I got a lot of takes. That game made me think um, that, boy, the Vikings sure seem far off. I don't know if I'm elevating the Titans too far or what, but I've seen the Titans play some really impressive games, and the Eagles said, okay, you want to take away our running game? We're going to throw for 300 yards, three touchdowns. Our quarterback's going to run for another one. 
that was a really impressive game by Philadelphia. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I mean, they're virtual locks to make the the playoffs now. They got to do is win one more, have Detroit lose one more in the next five. But how these matchups shake out, there's definite uh, definite pros and cons as to who they might face. Although San Francisco, obviously at this point. Um, if that got to be a matchup later on, that's a that's a little bit more tenuous for San Francisco now without Garoppolo. But these are still a long ways up. They got to fix their own problems before they work before they worry too much about who they might be playing in the postseason. They do, they do. Um, a lot of, a lot of problems too to work on. But hey, as the players keep saying, it's a good spot to be in. It is indeed. Thanks, Andrew. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Mike. Good stuff from Andrew as always. It's been fascinating to watch this team this year. Kind of you know the ebbs and flows of the things they do well, the things they don't do well. Like we talked about, you, you get a game where Kirk Cousins doesn't play all that well, and then the the defense steps up with some big plays in the red zone. They gave up almost 500 yards. They were outgained by almost 200 yards. The second time this season they've been outgained by that much, and still won. But they keep finding a way to win. And the longer they do that, the more you have to say, well, it's just a it's a function of luck a little bit, but it's also a function of them stressing the things that are most important and executing those in the right moments. You came to the podcast today for some more award-winning poetry, some bikus. You have come to the right place. The only podcast that I know of that's uh, dedicated to telling you the story of a Vikings game, more often than not victories this season, in poetry form. <clears throat> My good friend Keith Rashad helps us take care of that with what we affectionately call Vikus. Um, you were called out last week for having one too many syllables in one of your Vikus. So I hope you have cleaned up your act, sir. Does poem have one or two syllables? Two. Poem. I don't believe. Not the way I say it. Do you just say poem? Like poem. Like yeah. Poem. I believe poem has two syllables. That in my I believe that, that's, that's the way it. I read it. I think that's a mispronunciation. And I and I knew exactly, I knew you were going to say, I knew that's where the discrepancy was. I knew that you were counting poem as one syllable while the emailer was counting it as two. The emailer apparently doesn't have the upper Midwest accent needed to <laughs> Just say make poem. sure that that's one syllable. Yeah. So that, that's and, your, you know, that's your the defense. Other thing is, the other thing is, okay, all right, reader or listener, all right. Uh, how many awards has your poetry segment won? Huh? That's true. How many awards has your poetry segment won? Probably zero. That's what I'd like to know. Yeah. We do thank everybody for their feedback, though. A- any feedback is welcome. Except um, for especially, that guy. Especially one who is listening with such a critical ear. Um, that's uh, That was one of your most, probably one of your most treasured pieces of feedback because it was very specific and it was um, it was it was a challenge to your syllable counting. So. Let's see how you do this week. Well, I'll count them up along the way and make sure you're doing okay. So let, let's hear Vaiku number one, please. All right. Don't do that again, Alexander Madison. I thought you were hurt. Yep, the the uh, celebration in the end zone. Sorry, I got caught up uh, counting uh, counting syllables. I believe you got 575 five there. Um, yeah. Did you believe hey, me? Think... I don't need you to be my gatekeeper. I'm, I'm just fact checking. I'm, I'm speaking a, from I'm, the heart. Is I am a journalist, here. okay? I, I can't help but fact check you in real time. It sounded like you did good there. Um, did I knew Madison was faking. Did you not know he was faking it? Not not at first. Okay. Not at first. It's like, the... oh, no, wait a minute. Now I got a hamstring injury. Oh, wait a minute. What is he doing now? Oh, let's not talk about that too much because <laughs> it got a little... <laughs> a little dicey at the end. Of a little dicey that celebration at the end. Was. Didn't, We're... didn't get a penalty for it, so he must not have done it for long enough, or maybe they didn't know what he was doing exactly. 
Yeah, well, we're not going to describe it in great detail because um, yeah, it was questionable. It was, it was a disgusting act, is what it was. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I'm 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 all for uh, not giving the appearance of uh, of of hurting yourself. I think I feel like that started with like like I feel like a wrestler did that a long time ago. Like after he won a big match, he like did a backflip and then pretended it might have even been. I was like Marcus Levesseur, somebody who was like really important in the local wrestling scene. And then like pretended he had like hurt his ankle, like rolled around. And everyone was like, "Oh, what happened?" And he gets up and like runs away and laughs. So I, I know I don't care for the fake injury celebration. I'm sure um, that's exactly what Alexander Madison was referencing. It's not what he was referencing. I'm saying that's the that's my reference point, not Alexander Madison's reference point. I don't think he was copying a college wrestler or high school wrestler when he did it. I'm just saying. It's been done before. It's very derivative in addition to being very uh, very disappointing uh, when you watch it. Well, you know what? This raises a question, though, because I can't remember what game this was in. But yeah. um, earlier this season, it wasn't Madison. It was Justin Jefferson. Yep, he did, too. Who, so was he faking as well, yeah. too? Yeah, it's it's like a thing. There's like a there's some kind of TikTok challenge. I don't know if you're on TikTok a lot. Um, there's some kind of TikTok thing about, uh, I'm barely on the internet. I know you, I, that was mostly a joke. I, I was like, 50, on the... I was like 50, 50 on like, should I even bring up TikTok? Should I even say I that you. as a thing? So I don't, I don't want to explain TikTok on the show to you as we talk, but I think, you know, exactly. I think, you know, at least what it is. And I believe there is some sort of TikTok thing that that was, uh, that that was in reference to. So does, uh, is Elon Musk going to ruin that one too? Ah, man, I hope not. I hope not. We'll see, though. We'll see. All I know is that the Vikings are 10 and 2 since Elon bought Twitter, I think. So probably not a, probably not a, <laughs> probably not. Probably not really. <laughs> Just kidding. About. All right. Thank you, too, please. Oh, man. We need to, we need, yeah, we need to put this segment back on track with some poetry. Yeah, we do. Right, number two. Please, no camels. <clears throat> he totally sucked. But then he was also great. What a season, Kirk. Yeah, he missed some throws. I mean, I think that the one thing that I came away impressed by in that game and just overall this season is that even though his his numbers are not as good as they have been and, you know, pretty much in every quantifiable way, but he's his toughness this year I think has been on a certain level that I'm not sure I had seen in <clears throat> at least consistently in past years, taking a lot of hits on throws to, you know, to make big plays happen to you know, running the ball and, and not being, not being afraid to take a hit. He's been pretty tough this year and has paid the price. So I, I feel like that's, that's the lever in his favor overall this year, but he missed, he did miss some throws. I mean, that, it, that game would have been more comfortable for sure. If, uh, if they'd been able to sustain any kind of offense in either of those two middle quarters for like the eighth game in a row. Well, Contrary to all reports, my guess is that he is a human being, right? Mm. And so he's gonna make mistakes, and he's yes. gonna have tough games and what have. That's he's not Tom Brady. He's a very good quarterback. He's not one of the all-time greats who never misses. But it's oh, it's sort of interesting how his season is a microcosm for the season for the Viking season as a whole, right? Because he's not putting up the same statistics. He's not accomplishing the same things through the numbers right. that he has in the past, but he's just having much more success where we all um, care about the most, right? right. He, 
and he's been incredibly clutch. And I think that you're right. He's been incredibly tough as well, too. And, and how many times over the course of the last few seasons on that one run where he uh, stuck his head in and, and, and got the extra yards and got right. that six yards for the first time. How many times would he have slid three right. yards before the, the first down marker? in seasons past yeah so there is something different right and it's manifesting itself in a very weird way it's not really a, a new revelation here but it's just weird how it's manifesting itself as a lack of of statistical production but more than making up for it in the record yeah I don't, I, I don't even know what to do with it yeah and i feel like maybe the full story of this season won't be told until it's all over but i think there is some some territory to be discovered there in terms of what Kevin O'Connell values in a game, how they, how they play. And is this all just coincidental or are there reasons that, you know, that they do perform so well in, in these kind of key moments. And I, you know, maybe we'll find that over the course of seasons and not just this one, but it's definitely something that's been the storyline of this year, just the, this doesn't feel like they should be 10 and two and yet they're 10 and two because they do keep making the plays when they matter most. Um, yeah, speaking well, of, I got an, I got an inkling of, of what we'll find out. It, it'll look like in the playoffs. But yeah. We'll see though. Not here for a long time here for a good nope. time. Um, Haiku, uh, Vaiku three, please. Okay. <laughs> Crying on the farm. He tried to make this happen. This was Zimmer's dream. Well, yeah, I mean, they the one score games like I, I did have this thought this morning and it's probably what you're alluding to. Like, you know, it's it's not always been the defense. Sometimes it's been the offense making the plays at the end of the game that they need. But I think Ben Gessling wrote in his game story Monday, like every every month of this season, there's been one game that was clinched by some kind of defensive rescue whether it's a, like a turnover or some sort and then this one was clinched with with the Bynum interception and this is basically the clutch defense that Zimmer always wanted you to believe they had at least in the last few seasons I mean they really did have it in seasons past when the when the defense was a little better a little younger like 2015 2017 but by the time they got down to his last two years he still wanted the defense to be that and it just wasn't and it's startling to watch it work with a lot of the same players in a scheme that gives up a billion yards, and yet they are getting it done when it matters most. This is what he clearly wanted to have happen over the, the course of, of his career here, that his defense sh would shine in the biggest moments yes. when they needed him the most. And last year when they consistently failed, right? It just, and, and he would continue to put his trust in his defense, yes. even though last year the offense was the better unit. Yes, and it was just utterly frustrating, and so then to see them uh, seemingly, well, obviously performing much better than last year, and seemingly enjoying their jobs a whole heck of a lot more, not having to deal with this this hypocritical crank who um, wants to preach accountability, but then throws everybody else under the bus when things get tough for him. Right? It's just it's it's amazing to me how this is what the previous coach clearly yes. wanted to have happen yes. and couldn't make happen, but now is happening. It, uh, this team is baffling. This it's team is it's completely baffling. I still don't have a good 
handle on it. I've, I've, you know, I, we had a chart of like other Vikings teams that have started 10 and two and spoiler alert, none of them won the Super Bowl. But, um, you know, you can imagine um, having, I just remember having, you, you at least knew what I think you had, even in 2017, when it felt like they were, you know, kind of flying on some sort of magic cloud, you still knew what their identity was. I don't even know what they, I don't even, aside from Justin Jefferson is really good. I don't even know what they're, what they're good at. They're just good at winning. And that's about it. They're, they're good in the clutch. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Okay. Which is very important. Vaiku four, please. Don't get a big head. The division's not yours yet. Lions never quit. Yep, that's good. That's five. Okay. Um, you got you got lions with two syllables, but not poems. So, you know, that's just that's your business, not mine. Um you could go poems lions. Got one What's that? Poems got one syllable. <laughs> the say way it you, right. Maybe the way you say it. Um I'm gonna look it up in the dictionary. But yeah, I mean you can't don't take anything for granted. Um, this the poetry one is coming from my heart. It is it's coming my from heart my heart speaking. If and not my from, heart says poem with one syllable. If not from the dictionary, at least from your heart. Yeah. Um, you know, I, the the sickness that I have is to always worry about Green Bay. And so that win yesterday did still have meaning in that it meant Green Bay, Green Bay cannot win the division now. Even an utter collapse, um, Green Bay is the best they can do is nine and eight. So that that's my sickness there. But yeah, I you know, even if they don't win against Detroit next week, they're gonna someone's gonna win and someone's gonna lose in the next five weeks. Um, you can you can bet on that. You know, um if I were younger and had more time and still had the level of pettiness that I had as in, in say my early twenties as a sports fan, yeah, I would find I would search through the entirety of the internet, maybe even TikTok, to wow. find TikTok, that yeah. one person, the one person who will inevitably say, well, if the if the Lions are going to miraculously win this division, they have to win this next game for sure. Because yeah. somebody, somebody out there is going to make some reference or comment toward the, that it's still mathematically possible yeah. for the Lions yeah. to win this division. And it and it starts with next week, and these lions never quit. They they will bite your kneecaps till the end. Um, yeah, it's true. And someone's out there. They will. Someone. Someone's gonna. Someone's gonna say it, uh, even though it's utterly ridiculous. And this and the Vikings have basically wrapped it all up. Yeah, I mean, what what is still like, at least more than mathematically in play for the lions is a wild card berth. I think it's it's still far fetched, but they're they are. It's still in the in the hunt graphic there, um, but yeah, the division exactly where you expected the Vikings. Yep, exactly where I, I always expect the Vikings. Like you, you realize that they are there with three with five games left. They have three more wins than I predicted they'd have for the entire season. So that how that tells you That's... where uh, where they are relative to my uh, my sense of where this was all going. Well, yes, you asked me last week what was more surprising the. Green Bay being bad or the Vikings being good, and and I still believe it's the Vikings being good. This it, there was no way anybody with any sense saw this coming at no. all. Nope, not a bit. And here yet, which is why it makes perfect sense for this idiot segment. One thing that is not in doubt: daily delivery has six syllables. 
And uh, and don't you forget it. Uh, that'll do it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed everything we had going today. Back at it again on Wednesday. Should be a great one. Talking to Chip Scoggins and Aaron Levinsky of the Star Tribune about their very, very wonderful Red Lake football story that uh, that appeared in Sunday's paper. So a little bit of inside that story with both our, uh, our great Chip Scoggins, our writer, and Aaron Levinsky, the photographer who worked on that package. So I hope you enjoy that. Have a great rest of your Tuesday. Back at it again tomorrow.